0: Welcome to the Three Lions podcast. My name is Russell Osborne and this is an independent England football supporters podcast. One where we try to look at all things England. And this episode it's the turn of the lionesses. Now I did intend to do a preview episode for them but life just kind of Got on top of me. Uh, so I thought I'd put that right with a review episode. Uh, they've just had their first couple of 2023 World Cup qualifiers. They were against North Macedonia, which was played down at St Mary's in Southampton. And they also played away to Luxembourg. At the 2023 World Cup, well, that's going to be played in Australia and New Zealand. Now the Phil Neville era is now a distant memory, the interim period of Hagarisa has gone, and the start of hopefully something special has begun, with Serena Weigman now fully in charge. We'll speak with Rich Laverty very soon all about it. We'll also pay tribute to the passing of the great Jimmy Greaves, who sadly passed away recently. And the latest FIFA rankings came out on the 16th of September. And the senior England men have moved up to third place behind Belgium and Brazil, who are first and second. Frankly, I never really understand these rankings or how they go about putting them together, Uh, especially when you consider that Italy won the Euros and Argentina the Copper America. And they are in fifth and sixth place, respectively. I know, strange. Uh, I know you claim that you don't care, but secretly I think you do want to know. Wales, well, they're 19th. Scotland are 45th. Northern Ireland, 47th. And the Republic of Ireland are in a right pickle, sitting in 50th place. As I say, I don't really understand it or read too much into it, but apparently third place equals the highest position we've ever been placed. So Gareth, despite all his knockers is clearly doing something right. And just for equal measure, the Lionesses are in eighth place in the FIFA Women's Rankings, which links us nicely along with a catch-up with Rich Laverty. Rich, you all right? Yeah, I'm good, thanks, mate. You? Yeah, all good. Thank you very much. Um, So, well... Serena Weigmann era has begun with an 8-0 victory and a 10-0 victory. North Macedonia and Luxembourg. I know it's the uh, sort of the cliche, isn't it? You can only beat or play who's put in front of you. But were were they really ideal opponents for a first set of games?
1: Um, No, probably not. But I mean, Serena may view it differently. It was obviously an opportunity to get two pretty easy wins under a belt early on which england have not had a lot of in the last 18 months Mm. um it's a difficult one because we're still kind of recovering from the schedule that has been brought on by covid and all the postponements and delays and obviously as you know from whether it's the men's or the women's when you're preparing for a tournament you usually have two years to play your qualifiers with no tournament in the middle whereas obviously now they're they're going through that two-year phase now of playing their World Cup qualifiers, but there is a tournament in the middle because of the Euros being postponed a year. So it's not ideal preparation in terms of a major tournament coming around the corner, especially with a new manager, um, to play teams that are pretty non-competitive. I mean, they will have one or two slightly more competitive games when they play someone like Austria, for example, but... It's the same for everyone. I mean, you know, Netherlands, France, you know, Spain, Germany, Norway, they're all, you know, preparing for the Euros next year and they're going through this same process at the minute. I think Spain wants 10-0 and 7-0. Yeah, it's not ideal for anybody. It's just the way the schedule has been brought about. So they're going to have to try and, uh, and mix some slightly more competitive games that will be a bit more representative of what they'll face at the Euros next summer. But... You know, it is what it is. These are the teams they got drawn against. Um, We can have the conversation and I'm sure we probably will at some point about whether we should have pre-qualifying, things like that, for these kind of games because, you know, it's nothing against um, Luxembourg and and North Macedonia and and the other teams that got, you know, thrashed this week in in other groups. You know, they're doing their best with what they have um, in terms of resource and infrastructure, but I don't really see how it's doing them particularly any good um, I don't think it's benefiting you know England and, and Spain and France I'm not sure what Serena will have learned from the two games um, because it, again it is just not in any way representative of what they'll face next summer so but it is what it is you know they had to go out there to do the job and you know a lot of players got a lot of minutes maybe not quite as many as I think I would have probably liked given you know how comfortable England were but a lot of players scored goals as well. There were some nice moments in there. You know, Ella Toon, I think, played really well on, on Friday. Um, scored the opener. Nice to see Millie Bright. You know, she got her first in goals yesterday. Rachel Daly obviously after what she's been through the last week or so. So, you know, some nice moments in there and, and it's you know, I'm sure the, the players are happy to get two wins. But yeah, it's it's not ideal preparation for a tournament. Yeah, no, there's
0: there's a couple of things there that you've that you've mentioned uh, and you said about these sort of lesser nations in capability. And I'm wondering whether perhaps the women's game needs a. I don't even know how you'd sort of shoehorn it in either, but like a nations league type tournament. I mean, yeah, just just looking at some of the results, Cyprus. I mean, all generally all these teams have played two. Cyprus conceded twelve, Pharaohs conceded. 17, Latvia, 12, Luxembourg. But yeah, it's, it, it's a little bit unfair on them and, and unfair on the likes of, as you say, England, Spain and uh, France who are who, who are just scoring for fun. It doesn't really do anyone any justice, I guess. But as well, um, you mentioned about playing teams who are going to be more of the, the European Championships capability. Um, there's talk of a, a new four team tournament for, for February of next year being held in England, um, which we already know is gonna feature Germany and Spain. Um, and I think it's still AN other to be determined. Um, and that would give more opportunity for, for Serena Weidman to to see what's on what's what's on her plate and what she can sort of deal with, would it would it not?
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, it, it's perfect, you know, in terms of what they want. It's perfect both on and off the pitch because they don't have to travel either. Um, she believes was obviously very competitive throughout the years that England took part, but it was never ideal taking players off to the other side of the world sort of mid-season. So, you know, they can also stay at home, base themselves at St George's Park or wherever, and, and it's not too far, obviously, for Spain and, and for Germany, and it's, it's exactly what they need because, you know, that is going to be representative of what they're going to face if they want to win the Euros. I mean, Germany, probably in a little bit of a transition still at the minute um, with some young players coming through. But, you know, Spain, I think are one of the favourites now for the Euros. I mean, they've got so many of the Barcelona team that won the treble last year. So, yeah, I mean, that's exactly what you want. You know, you want to play those teams, minimise sort of the, the travel and effect on your players as well touching on that what you said at the start as well about the Nations League thing I think yeah I think you'd struggle to maybe shoehorn it in at the minute until the schedule settles down again with the first team but they are actually now as of I think it started this week actually with the under-19s I think the 17 starts next month and the 19s started this month Mm -hmm. Um, they both have their Euros next or sometime next year so they've Doing that, they're going through the first round now and then that sets the, you know, it's still as the men's. The group winners go up, the the losers go down. So everybody plays teams sort of around their level and then eventually, I think the second round, the teams that win the top groups, they qualify for the Euros. Obviously, that gives those teams like Luxembourg and, and Faroe Islands and North Macedonia, etc. It doesn't give them obviously the first team, but the next generation coming through for those countries, they get a bit more experience playing against teams of their own caliber which you know hopefully will help them when they get to the, the first team so that's probably a step in the right direction that they're doing that at youth team level now um, I think that's a good idea across UEFA so hopefully that helps maybe we can do it in the the first teams in the future once the schedule settles down a little bit and use that as qualification for tournaments like the men do now um, yeah. but yeah I think it's it's a good start to have it at youth team level
0: yeah okay just going back to the the first game that the Lionesses played, North Macedonia, which was down at Southampton. There was what, eight, eight thousand fans there, which was which was good to see. And despite the the domination that England had, I think Serena Weigman said that I don't know whether it was slightly tongue-in-cheek or whether she was actually genuinely um being harsh, but she she said it was what's it just just okay, the performance that they put in.
1: Yeah, I didn't see the whole game, but based on the highlights and, and a few things I read, they did miss a lot of chances, particularly in the first half, um, which, look, you, you get away with in games like this, but I'm sure she's aware as, as someone that's won a major tournament that when you get to those games, when you play in Spain and you play in Germany, um, like they will in February, you've got to be clinical because you're not going to get, obviously, dozens and dozens of chances um, like they did on Friday and they did again Um on Tuesday. So, you know, she's a perfectionist. And, and I think that's what you've got to be to get to the very top. Yeah, I think you just got to have that clinical edge, um, which, you know, you can argue they've certainly had. They were the top scorers over the, the two games, I think, one more than Spain. They were definitely more clinical last night in terms of putting the game to bed early on. So, yeah, I think she just wanted a little bit more in front of goal um, because she knows that to win a major tournament, you know, if they're only going to get one or two chances in big games, they're going to have to take them. Um, so I think it was just around that, really finishing. Okay,
0: fair enough. Uh, and that you mentioned last night um, against Luxembourg, um, they put it to bed quite early, and it was it was quite early that, that Ellen White scored two more goals to add to her England tally. She's not far
1: off now of Kelly Smith's uh, England record. Yeah, I think um, yeah, I think she'll break that now pretty comfortably I think she's a couple behind two or three behind Mm. now so yeah I mean you look at the games England have got you know they play Latvia I think next month I think they've got Northern Ireland as well so you know if she's playing she could even break it probably in the next month to be honest Um, it'll just be a matter of time because they'll have Luxembourg to play again they'll have North Macedonia to play again they'll have Latvia to play again so you know she could be I mean she could be long gone you know, by the time we get down to, to next summer, um, yeah. and and you know, it, it's it's great for her, you know, and, and the history books will say she's the top scorer, but you know, the level of opposition and obviously the amount of games now, I think, as well, they play, um, is a lot more than back sort of 10 15 years ago, so you know, but you can't knock it, you know, she's been there a long time now, Ellen White, and kind of fought her way back a bit because probably four or five years ago, she was kind of you know playing in the mid-table with Notts County and she'd had some injuries and and she wasn't really kind of first first striker on the, the team sheet in terms of who was going to play and, and it was kind of under Mark Sampson, obviously he played a very sort of direct style, you know, very hard fought and I think someone like Ellen White really sort of suited that in terms of someone that could hold the ball up, someone that could press, someone that would fight for every ball and, and she obviously you know, she did so well in the major tournament. She was the golden boot winner um, at the Euros. And, um, yeah, she's just stayed there ever since, obviously with the form she had at Birmingham. And then obviously going to Manchester City, you know, one of the top clubs in Europe. So, you know, great for her um, because at one point it probably looked like she wasn't going to be a, an England regular in terms of a starter. And, um, you know, she's kind of, she's made herself the England number nine now over the past couple of seasons. Yeah. And with the the first squad that um Serena
0: has picked, um, unfortunately she she had a few injuries that, that came along her way. And I, I said Ellie Roebuck um and Kira Walsh and then Steph Horton pulled out sort of on the on the eve of the first game against North Macedonia and and she opted to put Leah Williamson as as captain, um, which
1: which seems to have gone down quite well. Yeah, I think Leah is whether she be, I mean, Serena says she's not made a decision yet about who the permanent captain will be, whether it's Steph or someone else. I, I would maybe lean towards potentially if she decided to change it, she might go someone a little bit more experienced for a couple of years if there was one there that wanted it. But if she did decide to change it, it, wouldn't surprise me if she gave it to Leah permanently. I mean, it sort of makes me feel old. But, you know, when Steph got the captaincy, I think she was sort of in her mid to to late 20s and and Leah is now 24. You know, she's not a kid anymore and she's played at the top level for a long, long time. She's been at major tournaments. She's won things with Arsenal. So, you know, even though I think many people still think of Leah Williamson as one of the next generation and and one of the younger players, I don't think she is anymore. You know, I think she's established enough in that squad and, and has the experience enough that she could do that role. I've always said in the past, I think she would be England captain one day whether it's after Steph or or whether there is somebody sort of in the interim. But, you know, if there isn't someone within that more experienced pool that wants to be the captain or is suited to be the captain, then, you know, I I don't think there'd be any issue. I personally think it should probably stick with Steph just maybe for this next cycle of tournaments um, and then maybe look after 2023 at maybe somebody else and, and probably Leah. At that point, you know, I think Leah is a natural leader, so it was a, a good choice. And um, I think that is just a taste of what we'll probably see more regularly um, in the future. Speaking of the future, um, England play
0: again next month. And there is the the game at home to, in fact, I think that both games are at home next month, are they? Um is it Northern Ireland and Latvia,
1: or is that? Yeah, yeah. So uh, Northern Ireland, obviously, at Wembley. Yeah, uh, which got announced. I don't think they've announced a venue for the Latvia game yet. Uh, okay. Um, but yeah, the Northern Ireland one should be a, a good occasion.
0: Yeah, they're back at Wembley again. The last time that the that the Lionesses were at Wembley, I think, was for the Germany game in 2019. Just, I think, it was probably just before this all this whole rotten cycle started. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, it's another chance for her to to pick a another squad. And I mean there was a few players in this most recent squad that maybe didn't get the opportunities maybe they deserved with, with the results sort of or the, the dominance that the team had on the pitch.
1: Uh yeah, I mean, you know, it's it's one of those I think if you're not if you're not playing, you know, to your potential um in any part of the team, um, it can happen. I think what I'd like to see I think what I'd like to see going forward now with England is a little bit of a nod. Obviously, you talk about the future and the one thing I was disappointed with the last couple of games was given the dominance that we just didn't see, you know, some of the younger players that, you know, could come off the bench and, and it, you know, again, you could argue you're not going to learn too much about them in games like this, but then you have got like Jill Scott coming on in the 88th minute last night and you think, well, you know, throw Katie's on, you know, and get her debut. I mean, Ebony Salmon, you know, they brought her halfway across the world from America to be in the squad. And, you know, she didn't even get on um, the two games. And, you know, I think she's meriting that selection now with the form she's having in, you know, one of the toughest leagues in the world, the NWSL. So I think it's, it's interesting because I think they just need to sort of, they need to break away now from what has gone before, not even just on the pitch, but off it. You know, it was a tough 18 months where they play a lot of games where they just didn't hit their potential for whatever reason. You know, there was talk of a hangover from the World Cup and some players were below par. And and then obviously there was the situation with, with Neville, you know, suddenly leaving. And it's a new era now. You know, Serena's come in and she's a proven winner at international level. And, you know, they they've hit their potential the last two games, you know, even if it doesn't necessarily prove anything, you know, they did the job and they did it convincingly, which is all they could do. And, um, you know, to go now and play Northern Ireland, who it's a tough one, you know, they're, they're, they've improved a lot over the last couple of years. It'll be a good occasion. Obviously two of the UK teams playing at Wembley and, you know, Latvia will probably be another sort of walkover, and, and Northern Ireland potentially will be in the end. I think it'd be a little bit tougher than the last two, but you know, it's we just got to move forward now. You know, we've got some very good young players coming through the system, and and even more, you know, that aren't involved in the squad yet. Obviously, players like Lauren James. So it's exciting. You know, I think we can look back and and we analysed a lot, but you know what went wrong. But that era is done now, and I think everyone's excited because you know we have got a manager that has won an international tournament and and been to a World Cup final in the last two major tournaments, and. We know we've got some very exciting players coming through, you know, and obviously that next generation of experienced players, which will be the likes of Leah Williamson and, and Kira Walsh, you know, that will sort of lead the team in the next years with the likes of Ebony Salmon coming through behind and Neve and Charles and Ella Toon and Lauren James, you know, a lot of Wubham Moy. It's, it's exciting times. And I think now everyone just wants to look forward because we've got two massive tournaments coming up in the next two years and it's just yeah I, I think it's exciting I think it's exciting even for the February tournament because you want to see them playing teams like Spain and, and Germany you know you want to see these young players exposed to that because they're going to be the next generation for the next 10 years you know it's not going to be Steph Horton for much longer and, and Jill Scott and, and Ellen white and Co so um yeah it's it's happier times I think now ahead um, for the lionesses hopefully, and um, yeah, I think everyone's just excited for it. Oh yeah, positive vibes, like it.
0: Well, um, yeah, as you say, Northern Ireland and Latvia next month. Perhaps we can uh, catch up then, and and hopefully, uh, and what this new era brings in. Perhaps a couple of, or I'd say the Northern Ireland game, a little bit more of a,
1: a harder task than the last two. I don't think you're going to massively learn a huge amount from any of these qualification games. To be honest, I think Austria, obviously, the toughest. Um, on paper I think they scored 14 goals and conceded one over their two games they've got six points Northern Ireland have got six points to be fair and, and didn't concede I think you will see a big split in the group and there's already a split there now I think the top three are on six points and everyone else is on zero points and there's already a massive difference in the goal difference so you would expect England to win the group you know Northern Ireland and Austria I think they'll be quite interesting games when those two play each other in terms of who gets second, but you know, again it's sort of you know, they're gonna to have to go and play North Macedonia again at some point and play Luxembourg at home and you know Latvia home and away. Um but you know that's just qualification and like I said I think we'll have that discussion over pre qualifying and, and nations league and things like that for uh, for a while to come yet. But at the end of the day, you know, you can't criticise England for going out and, and doing the job they've done. That's what they had to do and all the discussion around whether it's right or wrong or, or what should be changed. You know, that, that has to happen, I think, off the pitch. And at the end of the day, you just got to suck it up and get through the qualifiers and, and obviously then try and prepare as much as you can for the Euros with those, you know, the smattering of kind of competitive games in around it, which which is ideal to have so you know, it's not an ideal situation, but it is what it is. It's partly, obviously, the development of the women's game and it's partly the schedule that's been brought on by the pandemic um, and all the delays. So, but yeah, it's... Um, I think Northern Ireland will be a little bit more competitive. But yeah, it, it is what it is, isn't it? And it's the same for everyone. You know, all the top nations are going through that at the minute. So, yeah.
0: Cool. All right, and Rich, well, thank you very much for your time. Um, as always, we can find you on Twitter. Was it Rich J Leverty? Yep. Yeah. And is there anything else you're working on at the moment?
1: Um, Yeah, I'm I'm always working on bits and pieces, obviously looking towards the Euros um, next year. And what can kind of, you know, is there any nice stories there? You know, I I sort of like, I enjoy talking about maybe some of the lesser nations. And, you know, I think you sort of see the same stories come up every year around some of the more established players that the more established fans, you know, and, and regular followers of the women's game already know about. So for me, you know, it's kind of, are there any stories there to tell about people that, you know, uh, sort of less aware of? And it's interesting as well, because obviously a couple of top nations have change managers, you know, not just England, but obviously Serena. Coming over means the Netherlands have change manager. Obviously, Mark Parsons going in there, which is interesting, you know, as a, an English coach and, and someone who's been in club football a long time at the top level with the Thorns. So, you know, that's quite a, an interesting story over there. And I think just the whole development of the women's game, you know, you look at the difference from four years ago, where Spain are now, you know, like I said, I think they're one of the favourites and, and look at how Sweden did at, at the Olympics and, you know, Norway are getting better and better. So it's, um, but it's been great obviously to have your Northern Islands there as well and, and Finland and, and Austria and, you know, Russia. So, you know, I think it'll be a, a great tournament. So you're kind of always doing stuff now, but. I think it's always sort of one eye on the the longer term, and especially when it's it's a tournament that's in our own country. I think the draws next month as well, so that'll come around quick, and, and obviously we'll all be looking at that and, and covering that. And then you have a little bit of a better idea where the stories are once once the groups are uh, have, have been drawn next month. I think it's the end of October, so yeah, that'll be good as well.
0: Nice one. We'll look forward to uh, to catching up and talking about those then
1: near the time. Yeah, looking forward to. It.
0: Now some sad news that I'm sure you are well aware of. The 19th of September this year saw the sad passing of England legend Jimmy Greaves. Jimmy Greaves was one of England's best strikers and at this point in time is still fourth in the list of all-time goal scorers for the three lions. Only Wayne Rooney, Sir Bobby Charlton and Gary Lineker ahead of him. He scored 44 goals in 57 appearances. Quite remarkable. Match that up against Rooney's 53 in 120. Charlton's 49 in 106. Lineker's 48 in 80. And you get to understand how good a goal-scoring ratio that is. Harry Kane is just behind him with 41 goals in 64 caps. And he also holds the record for the most England hat-tricks with six to his name. And speaking of Harry Kane, Jimmy Greaves is still Tottenham's record goal scorer, scoring 266 goals in 379 games. But Kane is bearing down on that record and is currently in second place at the moment. Jimmy Greaves was born on the 20th of February 1940 and began his footballing career at Chelsea. Chelsea where he scored 125 times in 157 games. He then moved to AC Milan, and despite only playing 12 times, he scored nine. But he was unsettled in Italy, and returned back to England and to Tottenham, where he went on to make that amazing goal-scoring record. Spurs signed him for £99,999. Manager Bill Nicholson refused to pay the extra pound, as he didn't want him to be burdened, being the first £100,000 footballer. Uh, In 1970, he stayed in London, but transferred to West Ham. And he scored wherever he went. And each time, he'd score on his debut. Chelsea, Milan, Spurs and West Ham. On the England front... He made his debut in 1959 after 12 appearances and 13 goals for the under-23s. He scored his debut for them as well. And his first England game was away to Peru in a 4-1 defeat. Who got the goal? You need to ask. Of course he did. Uh, He went to Chile in the 1962 World Cup, playing in all four games and scoring against Argentina. England were rampant and after another strong attack, Greaves scored. Now the year 1966 is of course cemented into every England fan's consciousness. The year the World Cup was won. Jimmy was part of Alf Ramsey's squad and he played in the opening three group games against Uruguay, Mexico and France. However, against the French, Joseph Bonnell raked his studs down Greaves' shin, causing him to have 14 stitches. He would play no more part in the finals. And that was despite being fit for the final. Ramsey, though, decided to stick with Jeff Hurst from the quarterfinals onwards against Argentina. And the rest, as we know, is history. Only in 2009 did he receive his medal for his part in that winning squad as back in 66 only the 11 players were given one and after that final Greaves would only go on to play three more times for England. His last cap came against Austria in May 1967. Sadly it was well documented towards the end of his career with West Ham he fell into alcoholism and it's claimed that he would regularly drink 20 pints of beer throughout the day and then continue with vodka before going to bed. Thankfully, though, for him, he stopped drinking around 1978 and didn't touch it again. And for people of a certain age, as myself, whilst we all knew of Jimmy Greaves' goal-scoring exploits, I was far too young to have actually seen them. I knew Jimmy more for his television presence. Saint and Greavesy on a Saturday on ITV. Going through the week's football action. I remember one time uh he once interviewed Donald Trump and got him to draw uh, a round for the League Cup uh from a high-up room. I, I guess it was probably in Trump Towers. <laughs> it never happened now. Um But you can... I'm sure it's on YouTube. You can go and find it on there. But for England, though, he will be forever remembered. He was number 780 in England's legacy numbers. And looking at his stats, he actually scored England's 1,000th goal. It was against Wales in November 1960.
1: But it was England's turn first. Centre forward Bobby Smith had possession. On to Greaves and the wonder man of Chelsea was too quick for Kelsey's dive. Greaves dangerous again, and yes, it was in the net.
0: That was Jimmy Greaves, who died at the age of 81. And we pass on our condolences to both his family and his friends. And I'm sure there'll be a huge round of applause and appreciation at the forthcoming England game against Hungary at Wembley next month. Now, before we call it a day for this episode, I just wanted to bring to your attention FIFA's latest punishments. Uh, This came following the England game against Hungary in Budapest, which I'm sure you may remember. Uh, Following Raheem Sterling's goal, he was subjected to racist abuse from the stands. Uh, Jude Bellingham also whilst he was warming up along the touchline. FIFA have looked at it. They've gone through it with a fine tooth comb. And they have punished Hungary and the Hungarian FA with a two-match behind closed-door punishment, although the second game uh, is suspended for a probationary period of two years. They have also been fined 200,000 Swiss francs, which equates to 158,416 pounds. This also takes into account racist words and actions, throwing of objects, lighting of fireworks and blocked stairwells. £158,416. Bearing in mind, UEFA have already imposed a three-match European ban on Hungarian supporters for home matches, uh, with one of those suspended for two years. This uh, is a homophobic banner shown during Euro 2020. They're not going to learn from that. 200,000 Swiss francs is nothing to an organisation such as the Hungarian FA. Time and time again, the football authorities, be it UEFA or FIFA, dish out these fines, yet the problem still persists. It's not going away. I know Gareth Southgate has said that we need to have our own house in order before commenting on others. And there is, of course, the uh, the possibility of punishment coming our way. It was the, the well-documented incidents that took place during the summer's final. But a punishment needs to be a deterrent, something that will make others sit up and take note. I almost want to say this is laughable, but it's not. That, that time's gone. Laughable has gone. It's gone too far now. This isn't going to go away until a punishment involves a nation being excluded from a major finals, be it a World Cup or a Euros. Then if that doesn't work, then club teams need to be removed from European competition. And if that doesn't work, I, I really don't know. We may as well all give up, turn the lights off and go home. Anyway, it's my rant over with. Thank you for listening. I hope you've enjoyed it. Thanks to Rich Laverty for keeping us in the loop with the Lionesses. You can find him on Twitter, at Rich J Laverty. I'll be back very soon, probably, uh, yeah, with the next preview episode. England face Andorra and Hungary uh, in October. Next round, what is that, match day six, I believe. Uh, although I'm well aware that I also have the second part of that Brian Wright interview to give to you. Don't worry, it is all ready to go, it will be with you soon. In the meantime, don't forget you can follow the show on social media, on the likes of Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. Just search Three Lions Podcast, or you can always drop me a note, or you can email three lionspodcast at gmail dot com. Perhaps you've got an idea for a feature. I'm all ears. So until the next time, cheers.